0: Well, we've been in 1 Corinthians here in the evening service, and we are marching along. Tonight we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Pastor Nauman preached the first 11 verses last week, and if you are here next week, yes, we will go backwards before we go forwards, Uh, because next week uh, is a communion Sunday uh, in the evening, uh, third Sundays, and Dave Snoke will be preaching, so we skipped over the end of chapter 11 to move to chapter 12, so next week, chapter 11, the week after (coughs) chapter 13 makes perfect sense, right? If you're Presbyterian and overthink things, it makes absolute perfect sense. All right. Some of you appreciate that. Others, you'll have words with me at Grill the Preacher afterwards. Uh, So, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the words are printed for you, uh, page 4 of your bulletin. Uh, Hear now the word of the Lord, and uh, as is our custom, after I read it, uh, we will say, I will say this is the word of the Lord, if you could respond with thanks be to God. second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Some of you who are probably much more versed in philosophy than I know a little bit about this age-old idea of the one and the many. Has anyone studied that before? You've you've read a little bit about this idea of the one and the many, right? Uh, and thinking it goes back at least 2500 years and it's the age-old philosophical problem of the one thing that lies behind all things that exist and it starts with an assumption if the universe uh, or the assumption is that the universe is one right then how does it all fit together right so all these many things we see around us if, if they all fit together, then there must be one thing holding them together. Now, um, the Bible actually answers that for us. <laughs> it tells us what's holding everything together. We read Colossians 1.18-25 uh, in our assurance of grace. If we backed up a couple verses, Colossians 1.15 said, He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So this idea of the one and the many, I think, is most aptly answered by the Christian worldview. Uh, I think it's most directly answered and explained first in the person of the Trinity, right? That God is one, and yet He exists in three persons, right? The one and the many, right? Uh, And so we see that even before the world existed, there already was this idea of the one (laughs) and the many. Uh, Well, this uh, mystery also extends to the church. And that's Paul's concern here in this passage as he's writing to the church at Corinth, right? He's dealing with this same idea, just a different aspect of this idea of the one and the many. And so, I only have four words for you tonight, and here they are. One body, many members. One body, many members. See, in the body of Christ, there is one body. There is a great unity that exists. And in that one body, which is Christ's body, where we are brought into it by the Spirit, there are many. There's much diversity. So, we see unity and diversity in this one body of Christ And those many are the members of the body of Christ, and they have roles to play. They have work that God has given us to do in this one body of Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul is explaining all these things to the church at Corinth uh, because they're not getting along so well, Have you ever heard anyone say, I want to go back to that New Testament church? I want to go back to the times of the New Testament church. Well, I don't, I don't know which one you want to go to. Like I, there's even Philippians, the letter of joy, right? Uh, there's problems with a couple ladies in that church. So these churches have problems. Why do they have problems? Because they have people, right? And we are people with lots of problems that have problems and that cause problems. And they had problems too. They had problems over who. Baptized who? Some people thought, I got baptized by this person. No, I got baptized by this person. So Paul's talking to that. They're having arguments uh, and exclusions between the rich and the poor, right? And uh, I assume Dave Snoke will talk about that a little bit next week. There's a whole bunch of people with a whole lot of stuff not waiting and not sharing with the people who don't have a whole lot of stuff when it comes to the Lord's table, right? So you got this rich, pompous table over here eating everything under the sun. And over here, there's not even scraps and crumbs, okay? Um, And there are also issues over gifts, right? And that's what Pastor Nauman uh, brought us into last week, which extends chapters 12, 13, 14. We'll have a prelude or an interlude next week. We won't handle that, but we'll come back to it. Uh, There were issues over gifts, right? And uh, and which gifts were more important and who was more important because they had these gifts, as you can see in this chapter. And Uh, Paul closes by saying, earnestly desire the higher gifts. It seems in particular there were issue over this idea of tongues, which we'll come back to uh, much in chapter 14. So they were a group of people with many problems. They didn't get along. Uh, They had their ideas. uh, They had their parties within the church. They had their partisans. They had their politics. They had their bickering. They had all of those things. And so the first thing that the Apostle Paul wants to tell them is that the church is one. It's one. Listen to what he says here. Uh, I mean, if you just step back and look at this passage, you see the words one and many and one and many and one and many all over the place, and body and members and body and members. That's why I only have four words for you and four almost brief meditations on these things. Uh, Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We can jump down a few verses. Uh, We'll beat up 12 and 13 a lot tonight. uh, But look at verse 20. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. He comes back to it again. Um, And then in verse uh, 25, and maybe I should back up verse 24, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Paul is uh, hitting on this aspect again and again that there's only one church, right? There's only one body because he is promoting Uh, The idea of unity within the church, right? And uh, uh, Jim uh, alluded tonight uh, to September 11th, 2001, and it was a significant event in the history of this nation um, and in the history of the world, not to be, you know, ethnocentric that all the issues of the world are are because they were America's issues first, but it was a big deal around the world, okay? Um, And yet, that unity that we felt, Jim, how long did that last? Right? Just think about that. That unity, you know, everyone came together, uh, Republicans, Democrats across the aisle, and it, it didn't last long. But the Apostle Paul has good news. See, this unity right, that he is stressing here, that Paul is particularly concerned uh, to stress, uh, is the oneness of the church in Corinth, and that there is one church, period. There aren't churches. There's a church. There's one universal church. Now, we are a particular church of that one universal church, uh, and this has been taught throughout all of church history when you study ecclesiology. The church's oneness has been stressed since the earliest Christian teaching. Typically, four big things are said about the church. I see if I can remember. If not, Mark will probably help me, Pastor Mark. Uh, the church is one. The church is holy. The church is Catholic, that is universal, the church is apostolic, that is built on the teaching of the apostles, so, and that one comes first, right, and this unity to the church, this basic unity that exists, we don't create, God does, it's not something that is up to us to manufacture or to synthesize, or um, it's none of those things, our job is to maintain it. And in your additional scriptures, you'll see a passage from Ephesians chapter 4. It's a a well-known passage with a whole bunch of ones. (laughs) Another whole bunch of ones in there. We'll read the whole thing. Um, But also, hear what the Spirit, what God has to say through the Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, about maintaining unity, right? Uh, I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, right, if you're reading that along, so I won't read it twice, I just caught that, right, Uh, one body, one spirit, all this oneness again, but here's this talk that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, God's given unity, right, by the spirit, our job is to maintain that, right, well, how do we maintain that, well, I'll just suggest two quick things, Uh, first, it has to start with right thinking, okay, if we're going to maintain the unity of the Spirit, uh, then we have to know what we are unified on. Okay? What are we as the church supposed to be unified on? And I would just suggest to you uh, the most basic creed of the church. In its earliest form, uh, the Apostles' Creed was, was found around 150 A.D. It's called the Roman symbol or the Roman creed. The church has been saying this creed for 1,870 years. Right? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It's a wonderful creed. It's a beautiful creed. The church is to maintain unity by seeking to adhere to these basic teachings of Christianity, these fundamental tenets of Christianity. And a church that's unified in these uh, basic teachings then has to go on to express that one to another. How do we do that? Well, I think Jesus taught His disciples in a few well-known passages in the Gospel of John. Uh, not only how to maintain unity, but what their unity, as they believed these things, and as they interacted one with another, would do for a watching world. John 13, not in your additional scriptures, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Right? So first thing right, Uh, we stick to the basic teachings of the Christian faith, we stay unified on those things, and then secondly, we love one another, right, and the world sees that. Uh, Jesus taught on this in chapter 17 uh, as well, uh, verses 20 through 23, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Do you see what a unified church on the basic teachings of Christianity that is seeking to love one another does? It not only builds itself up in love, but it functions as gospel witness to the truth of who Jesus Christ is, to His oneness with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Our unity cannot be, um, uh, it cannot be underestimated, but it also can't be manufactured. Um, It's not up to us, right? So a church that's unified in basic Christian teaching that keeps the main thing, the main thing, and that works those teachings out in love one to another is a church that is eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the bond of peace. Right? One church, one body, right? One. But whose body is it? Right? Well, it's Christ's. It's Christ's body by the Holy Spirit. Listen again to verses 12 and 13, and then we'll jump into verse 27 and talk about this idea of body. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now jump down to verse 27 with me. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Verse 12, so it is with Christ, is key here, as is verse 13, with one spirit. See, the church is one because the spirit mystically joins us to Christ's body, and there's only one body, right? It's his, and he is the head. Verse 13 says, the Holy Spirit baptizes us, right, into this one body. It baptizes Jews and Greeks. You can take any two people groups you want today, And if I was a betting man, I'd say they get along better than Jews and Greeks in those days, right? I don't care who you pick in what country around the world, they get along better than Jews and Greeks in first century Palestine. And yet, Jews and Greeks baptized into one body, Christ's body. Slaves and free. I don't care where you go around the world today. I don't care what the economic disparities are between the rich and the poor and how little they have in common in the first century Roman Empire, the divisions were probably greater. And yet, slave and free, united, right, into one body, the body of Christ. All drink of this same one spirit and are thus all united to Christ's body, the church, the household of God. Listen to how the Apostle Paul um, writes about that in Ephesians chapter 2. In your additional scriptures, starting in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The church is one, and the church is a body. One body, Christ's body, and He died to purchase it. It includes Baptists, Mennonites, Methodists, even Presbyterians, Anglicans, Lutherans, Pentecostal, non-denominational. That's just a small sampling of Protestants, folks. Let's not forget about our Orthodox brothers and sisters in many different stripes. I know that's like a world away from us, but there are churches all around here that are Orthodox. We just tend to go to them for the food festivals, right? <laughs> the Greek food festival is that a Greek Orthodox church, right? Russian Orthodox Church. Russia was the center of orthodoxy and Christianity for a long time, right? Um, Serbian orthodoxy, right? You want me to do my best Serbian impression? I've done this impression before. I'm doing it right now. You get it? Tell them, Mark don't I look like Novak Djokovic? Right? That's my best Serbian impression. right? Uh, so, uh, orthodox people all over the world, right, part of this one body, and perhaps many Catholic evangelicals as well, or evangelical Catholics. Um, and we can talk about that in Grill the Preacher. right? Um, uh, so, people have differing views on that. Um, uh, my, my personal view, I, I seem to have met and run into a fair amount of evangelical Catholics who, who know the Lord and love the Lord and have relationships with Him and read their Bible and talk about Him, okay? Right, so this thing is big, right? It's one body. It's a beautiful body. It's Christ's body, right? The church is all those who name the name of Christ, right, and who trust in Him alone for salvation. So, if it's one church, Right? Uh, and if it's one body, how does this idea of the many come into play then? Well, it's all over our text. Right? Uh, look with me again, verses 12 through 13, and then we'll just kind of jump on 14 through 20. It uses different language, but it's taking a metaphor um, to do the very thing uh, that the Apostle Paul is, is trying to do. Right? So, for, for uh, verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now we move to the metaphor. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Many are part of this one body of Christ, Christ's body. In other words, in this unity, there is great diversity, and unity and diversity need not be enemies of each other. In fact, they're intimately related and necessary for human flourishing as it is in the Trinity where there is great unity and diversity, right? One God existing in three persons, a very big word, ontological unity, right? Um, so, all of the same essence of the same stuff, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet they're three different people, and yet they Function differently and have different roles. You could, you would say that economically, um, with regards to something. Read Ephesians one. As simple as our salvation, right? God chooses, elects, right? Father purchases, redeems. Uh, uh, sorry, Father chooses, elects. Jesus purchases, redeems. The the, uh, the Holy Spirit a- applies what Jesus has accomplished. So great unity and diversity in the Trinity. Doesn't it make sense that you would see or expect great unity and diversity in the church? Right? So there are many parts, yet one body, right? and the unity is greater than us. It's supernatural. We're to maintain that unity. Um, but we don't all need to think exactly alike. We don't all need to look exactly alike. We don't have to speak the same language, we don't have to be from the same culture, we don't have to have the same politics, we don't have to drive the same kind of cars or live in the same kind of neighborhoods or work the same kind of jobs. If we have, first of all, a supernatural unity that comes only from God, then there's room for great diversity. And if we focus on those basics of the faith, as expressed in the Apostles' Creed, then there's room for great diversity. And if we love one another well, then we will learn to appreciate that great diversity. So unity on these basic doctrines and in love allows for the kind of diversity that promotes health in the body. And look at the picture that we have in the book of Revelation. Read chapter 5, read chapter 7. People from every tribe and tongue and nation and language gathered around the throne worshiping the lamb who was slain it's a beautiful picture right and it it encompasses both unity and diversity right just as the church at large has people committed to core tenets of Christianity yet they look very different so the local church has many right a diverse group of people that are united one into one body with Christ as its head, right? So Paul chooses the perfect example here in the human body, right? And this makes sense to us, right? Um, How many bones do we have in the human body? I can't remember that number. It's 200 some. We got two physical therapists. Is it 206, right? Don't you get that in like the 206? Doesn't that number stick out? Okay. How many major organs do we have? The trick question, what's the biggest organ in your body? Skin, right? That's like, no one ever thinks about that. You're thinking like, well, what's really big and inside? Like there's this huge thing on the outside that holds it all together, right? Um, right, so all this, all these, the ways the human body works together, the church is meant to work together, okay? To build itself up in love, right? So we've got hands and we've got feet and we've got ears and we've got eyes and we've got noses, right? Um, he picks just a few, right, to get his point across, but the point is clear, right? That we are one body with many, and now we move on to the last word, members. Many members. It's in there throughout, right? Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Right? Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Many. Verses 18 and 19. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And now, let's read verses 21 through 30. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts And I will show you a still more excellent way, right? Members, right? With roles, with work to do, right? With gifts that God has given them, right? Not just many, but many members, right? Members are more than just people. They're committed people with a role to play. They're a united people, committed to the glory of God, and the building up of His kingdom. They're a diverse group of people, no two people with the same set of gifts. Many different gifts and talents and abilities just in this little room, and this is one little slice of City Reform Church, which is one little slice of the church in Pittsburgh, which is one little slice of the church in America, which is one little slice of the church right now in the world. Yet there's all those who came before us and all who will come after us. And yet each person gifted uniquely with talents and abilities all to be put to work in service to the body and its growth, In service to the body, internal growth, building one another up in love. But many of these gifts extend outside the body so that others who are like we once were can come into the body. Members are called, as we see here, to care for one another in verse 25. That includes both suffering in verse 26 and rejoicing also in verse 26. We are the body of Christ and individually members of it in verse 27. The gifts we've been given, uh, different for each of us, uh, have this in common. They've not been given to you for your benefit. They've been given to you for the benefit of everyone else here. God doesn't give us gifts for ourselves. He gives them to us for the building up of His church. He gives them to us to help love our neighbors. And that's what being a member is. It's being a vital part of the one living, breathing body of Christ (laughs) with all its diversity, bringing glory to its head, our Savior, and to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the one who made us, and we are the many called to worship Him. Now, perhaps you've never felt like you've worshiped Him. Perhaps you've never called out to him for mercy and grace. I invite you to do so even right now, even as we close in prayer. I invite you to come over and have a conversation uh, with me and Grill the Preacher, uh, with anyone in this room, right? Uh, Because we want you to be a member of this one body. But for those of us who have, for those of us who are members of this one body, And there are many, there's no greater honor and privilege than being a son or daughter of the Most High God. God has given each of you gifts and talents and abilities that are needed in the body, in this body, for its flourishing. Maybe your gifts didn't make the list in the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Maybe they don't make the list in the end. That's okay. Those are not all encompassing lists. There are other lists in the Bible about gifts. But God, if He has called you, has given you gifts that are needed by your neighbors uh, for human flourishing. You can promote the unity of the church. You can seek to maintain the unity of Christ's church by using your spirit given diverse gifts to build up the many others who need what God has given you for this work, right? Folks, we are one body with many members. Christ has made one unified church. He calls people out of the world, men and women like me and you into that by his spirit. It's Christ's body and he is the head. And there's great diversity in this body. There's room for people who don't think like us, who don't look like us, who don't act like us. In fact, if we rewind the tape a few years, we weren't us because God is transforming us. He's making us into something different anyway. So we should be on the lookout for people who not only don't look like us, but who look like we used to, right? So it's one body with many members. And God has ordained work for each of us to do from eternity past to build up this body of Christ in this particular city at this particular time that his name might be known in all the earth. Let's pray.